0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now, the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we will continue the discussion we started last week with UC Berkeley professor Peter Dale Scott about his book, The Road to 9 11 Wealth. Empire and the future of America. We can't think of anyone who is better able to give us some of the needed background information relative to what happened on September 11th to really put it in a clearer focus. So please stay tuned for that in our second segment today. In the weeks to come, we expect to bring you Michael Krasny, the host of KQED's Forum, which is also heard on the Sirius satellite network. He's recently written a book called Off Mic, a memoir of talk radio and literary life. We're really looking forward to that. And We don't know whether we're going to be able to get a word with Jamie Heinemann and Adam Savage from the Discovery Channel's Mythbusters, but they are coming to the Mondavi Center here uh, on campus this Saturday, the 10th. And there's something that I forgot to mention on last week's program I want to make a point to do today, so before I forget... Do note that there's a comet visible up uh, in the skies tonight, which kind of came out of nowhere. It's causing quite a stir among stargazers since it's made its surprise appearance uh, about two weeks ago. The comet in question is called Comet Holmes. It's been uh, known about for a century. It's made something like 16 orbits around the Sun since it was discovered, and it's normally very, very faint indeed. But for some reason, which no one understands yet, it suddenly burst to being a million times brighter than it normally is. If you know anything about the sky at all, you will be easily able to find this fuzzy star in the constellation of Perseus. I would urge you to go onto the web and follow the diagram that's really quite easy to visualize, even for the inexperienced. Let us commence with on this date in history, which in our case today is November 8th. On this date in 392, the Roman Empire outlawed paganism. And on a date notable for what would uh, supplant the various religions of ancient Rome, that is to say Catholicism, on November 8, 1047, Theophilato, the licentious Pope Benedict IX, claimed the papacy for the third time. He had previously sold the office and had subsequently been deposed on the second run, and his third run was distinguished by his being driven from Rome. On November 8, 1876, the New York Times, voicing a view contrary to that of other newspapers, asserted that neither Samuel Tilden nor Rutherford B. Hayes had won the U.S. presidential election. Hayes was selected a few months later by an electoral commission and Congress in one of the most brazen thefts of high office in the history of the U.S., A comparison of the events in 1876 and the events in Election 2000 are disturbingly similar, but we don't have time to go into that today. On this date in 1923, Adolf Hitler and followers launched the Beer Hall Putsch, his first attempt at seizing control of Germany. Sixteen years later in 1939, shortly after Hitler made an appearance to celebrate the 16th anniversary of his Beer Hall Putsch, a bomb exploded in the Beer Hall. Hitler took his narrow escape as a sign of God's support for his work, which had included two months earlier, starting World War II. Apparently, the Archbishop of Munich shared Hitler's view and held a mass to celebrate the miracle. And finally, on this date in 1960, a date which truly really seems to have a Catholic theme, John F. Kennedy became the youngest man and the first Catholic to be elected President of the United States, narrowly beating Republican Vice President Richard M. Nixon. Kennedy, by the way, was 43 at the time of his election. Oddly, he was not the youngest man to hold the office of the presidency. That honor goes to Teddy Roosevelt, who became president upon the assassination of William McKinley. Our quote of the day comes from Otto von Bismarck, who said, People never lie so much as after a hunt, during a war, or before an election. Our quote of the day comes from historian Daniel J. Borston, who said, Some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and some hire public relations officers. Our statistic of the day is 37 years of straight winning seasons, which had been UC Davis's record, a record which sadly ended this season. Yes, it is tough to move up to Division I and still uh win more games than you lose. For keeping score, the last time the Calaghis had a losing season prior to this one was 1969. Our joke of the day comes from The Onion, who noted a, in a recent article about Walmart's PR efforts. Said The Onion, in an effort to combat their negative media portrayal, Walmart has set up a public relations war room. Here are the strategies they have drawn up to counter bad press. 1. Offer free hot dogs to potential whistleblowers. Two, Give employees Christmas bonus of their choice of two basic civil liberties. Three, organize massive leaflet drop campaign promising to be humane and merciful to those who surrender. Walmart strategy number four, finalize company policy on how to best deploy Walmart's eight nuclear weapons. And Walmart's fifth and final PR strategy, force out any newspaper that depicts them in a poor light by opening a larger, cheaper newspaper nearby. And by the way, we do have to take a slight issue with the article about how to increase your mirth, which was in the Sacramento Bee a few weeks ago. One of the items was, learn to avoid the energy drains. News and political commentary getting you down? Limit how much you listen to it. We don't think that's necessarily good advice. Uh, You know, Between The Onion, people like Jon Stewart, and we'd like to think people like us, Political commentary can be fun, not always, of course, but uh, but oftentimes fun. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey. It was a good week recently for your tax dollars at work when Alaska's Governor Sarah Palin finally canceled the obscure construction project that became such a damning symbol of greed and corruption in the last Republican Congress. The bridge in question, you may recall, was going to cost federal taxpayers $400 million for the purpose of seeing the Alaska town of Ketchikan, population 7,000, connected to its airport on a nearby island, population 50. The U.S. Senator who earmarked the funds for the bridge, Ted Stevens, is now the subject of an FBI bribery probe. It turned out that may have been a a bad week for your tax dollars at work, when at about the same time as this last item appeared, it was revealed that The term Bible study may have a new meaning in the state of Alabama. Alabama became the first state to approve a state-funded textbook for non-devotional Bible instruction. The state school board recently introduced the Bible and its influence, a text some civil libertarians actually applaud for steering clear of church state violation. We here at Radio Parallax think this actually could be a good use of taxpayer dollars depending on how it's done. The Bible is certainly the most influential book in the history of Western civilization, something very much worthy of study, but again, the devil's in the details. We'll have to make a call uh, sometime early next year to our friend uh, Steve Chiatekis, who works for uh, Alabama Public Radio, to see if he can update us on that story. And finally, it was an ugly week uh, a couple of weeks back for CCRs, better known as Conditions, Covenants, and Restrictions after Hispanic leaders in a Dallas suburb denounced as racist a proposal to ban residents from painting their houses in garish colors. The city council in Farmers Branch, Texas, where most houses are brick with neutral painted trim, have yet to vote on the new color standards, which some residents say would protect property values. Elizabeth Villafranca, whose family owns a Mexican restaurant in town, says the proposal is discriminatory. Controlling the color you paint your house is basically profiling the Hispanic community, she says. We all know who paints their houses tropical colors. You know, and I got to say that it's one thing I always liked about going down uh, south of the border into Mexico. Those those beautiful, bright pastel colors people paint their homes I think are quite striking and quite attractive. So I hope the uh, city council in uh, Farmers Branch, Texas, why is it always Texas, will, you know, get with the program here and, you know, lighten up. We'll have more to say about, uh, you know, uh, local governmental knuckleheads a little bit later on this program. Let's do a little bit of follow-up. We asked a couple weeks back for some feedback when people thought about Che Guevara. Uh, Sadly, nobody responded, but uh, The Economist magazine did sound off on the subject. Referring to what it described as the cult of Che Guevara, the magazine noted, The wider the cult spreads, the further it strays from the man. Rather than a Christian romantic, Guevara was a ruthless and dogmatic Marxist who stood not for liberation, but for a new tyranny. In the Sierra Maestra Mountains, he shot those suspected of treachery. In victory, Mr. Castro placed him in charge of the firing squads that executed counter-revolutionaries. As Minister of Industries, Guevara advocated expropriation down to the last farm and shop. His exhortation to guerrilla warfare, irrespective of political circumstances, lured thousands of idealistic Latin Americans to their deaths, helped to create brutal dictatorships, and delayed the achievement of democracy. I'm not sure I agree with that last, but Guevara certainly was a complicated man and by no means an angel. I have personally been to Che Guevara's mausoleum, and it certainly seems that the, the Cuban government spent a lot of money uh, to continue to use his image as, you know, really being the poster boy of the Cuban Revolution uh, for political purposes. I've, uh, I've read it alleged by people who are fairly knowledgeable that uh, Fidel wanted to make doggone sure that Che got out of the country, owing to the fact that he was a charismatic leader like himself, and uh, I've heard him accused of basically setting him up to get killed in a foreign adventure, which of course eventually happened. Now whether that's true or not, I don't know, but um, the people saying it were very knowledgeable. And again, dear listener, feel free to sound off on this subject yourself by writing to info at radioparallax.com. We made passing mention a few weeks ago to to Freedom's Watch, the deep-pocketed conservative group that's led by two former senior White House officials, which has gone on a public relations offensive. Uh, It should be noted that uh, last month, Freedom Watch set out to sponsor a private forum of 20 experts on radical Islam that was to make the case that Iran poses a direct threat to the security of the United States. I'm quite certain you'll be hearing more about Islamo fascism in the months to come. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz reported in September that Rabbi Eric Yoffe, president of the Union for Reform Judaism, representing 900 congregations and 1.5 million Jews, quote, accused American media, politicians, and religious groups of demonizing Islam and turning Muslims into satanic figures. Paul Craig Roberts, who was Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the Reagan administration, agrees, noting, Rabbi Yofi is certainly correct. In America, there's only one side to the issue. An entire industry has been created that is devoted to demonizing Islam. Books abound that misrepresent Islam as the greatest possible threat to Western civilization and seek to instill fear and hatred of Muslims in America. For example, Norman Pordoritz proclaiming World War IV, the long struggle against Islamofascism. Daniel Pipes shrieking that militant Islam reaches America. Lee Harris warning of the suicide of reason, radical Islam's threat to the West. I was strolling around a bookstore in Santa Cruz last week and noticed many books of this ilk. One uh, similar load of bull book we mentioned on last week's program was Curveball, Spies, Lies, and the Con Man Who Caused a War. We're sad to note uh, that um, the point of this book, that one defector from Iraq seems to be responsible for our faulty intelligence regarding weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, seems to be uh, bought hook, line, and sinker by the people at 60 Minutes. It's so unbelievable that 60 Minutes could present this to the American public uh, as if one con man was responsible for faulty intelligence. When Actually, let me, let me just quote from, from, from the transcript, apparently from the CBS broadcast. The analyst believed Curveball because he named names. He claimed that Dr. Basil El-Sati, a noted nuclear scientist, was a senior official in Iraq's mobile bioweapons program. British intelligence found Dr. Basil outside of Iraq and pressed him on this alleged bioweapons facility site. Rafid Alwan told German intelligence that you personally were fully involved in the project to use Jer al-Nadaf for mobile biological weapons. The doctor was advised. Big lie, the doctor replied. If something were going on there, Dr. Basil said, he definitely would have known about it. The questioner then asked, well, there are some people in the American intelligence community who believe that seed purification is a cover for biological weapons production. No, it really was seed purification, the doctor replied. Dr. Basil pointed out that if he'd been working on something top secret, then why did Saddam let him emigrate from Iraq in 1999? Good question. Apparently Curveball didn't have an answer to it, and yet they're still elected to believe this guy. The truth is, you know, if the Pentagon and people in the Bush administration wanted to spend $12 billion a month... To fight UFOs that are abducting citizens, then the next guy that came along that said he'd been abducted by a UFO would be treated like he was a good witness. So who's more to blame in the fiasco? The guy that says he was abducted by the UFO or the people that elect to spend $12 billion based on that dubious premise? You make the call. We talked to Floyd Landis a few months back, and uh, and as you know, he was stripped of his Tour de France title for 2006, but uh, Floyd Landis has filed a final appeal in an an effort to uh, clear his name. Most people I've spoken to don't think the odds look good for Floyd. But uh, this whole matter of performance enhancement was uh, was thrown a curveball by the fact that, uh, let me quote uh, from The Economist. The murky world of doping in sport may be about to get murkier still. Having spent decades trying to detect the use of performance-enhancing drugs, officials may soon be confronted with the paradoxical problem of detecting their non-use. Because here's the deal. Researchers in Italy found out that giving an athlete a placebo on the day of a competition can nevertheless benefit him. Doctors have long known that placebos can have a significant effect in medicine, but until now, no one had considered their implications for sports. We mentioned last week about uh, the attempted assassination of Harry Truman in 1948 by a right-wing Israeli gang, which we have still been unable to run down. We mentioned in passing that it was the 12th anniversary of the uh, shooting of Yitzhak Rabin uh, last Sunday. And in relation to that story, here's an item which I think you'll have to find a bit disturbing. Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert cautioned Monday against letting Israeli extremists repeat their hate-mongering of more than a decade ago. Olmert's warning came after people booed during a moment of silence Sunday on the 12th anniversary of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin's murder and showed posters of Israel's dovish president Shimon Peres in Arab headdress. On Sunday, when the announcer at a soccer game paid tribute to Rabin over the stadium sound system, hundreds of fans of the Beitar Jerusalem team erupted in loud boos. It was a public show of disrespect that would have been unthinkable not long ago. The fans' behavior infuriated the game's TV commentator, Yoram Arbel, who fumed during the broadcast that fans should be ashamed of themselves. Bechar, Jerusalem supporters have a reputation for ultra-nationalist politics and racism. It remains one of the only clubs in Israeli soccer never to have fielded an Arab player. Said Avi Luzon, head of Israel's Soccer Federation, it's not just a handful that's what's so appalling. It was, I'm afraid, the majority of the crowd that was there. Not mentioned in this report, but, uh, but reported on national public radio, was the fact that after they booed uh, Yitzhak Rabin, They began chanting the name of Rabin's killer, Yigal Amir. Israeli extremists and Amir's family have launched a campaign to have the assassin freed from prison. A recent newspaper poll indicated that about a quarter of Israelis, including almost half of religiously observant Jews, think Amir should be pardoned in 2015 after serving just 20 years. And on a happier note, Israeli Prime Minister Olmert also said last Sunday that vigorous peace negotiations could go far toward establishing an independent Palestinian state before President Bush leaves office. It's noted that Olmert's government may have reason to want to secure the best deal it can now under U.S. auspices out of fear that a Democrat less friendly to Israel's security interests might be the next U.S. president. And we need a couple of happier notes here to close this segment. Uh, Our uh, our high opinion of the movie In the Shadow of the Moon was echoed by New Scientist magazine. Andrew Smith noted in the magazine, The first thing to say about In the Shadow of the Moon is that it's superbly made and cleverly shot. Archive footage has been painstakingly sifted and remastered, making the grainy shots sparkle as never before. We think you should uh, to see this documentary. Uh, sad to note, it is not uh, playing locally any longer, but it'll no doubt uh, be available on, on DVDs at some point in the not-too-distant future. And finally, we want to close with uh, the, the Bad Reporter cartoon from the San Francisco Chronicle, written by Don Asmussen, which bills itself as the lies behind the truth and the truth behind those lies that are behind that truth. In the first panel of Bad Reporter, this is in reference to that fake FEMA news conference of a couple weeks ago. The headline is Many still refuse to believe Sasquatch FEMA reporter was a hoax. Subheadline Blurry footage of creatures' softball questioning proves inconclusive. <laughs> Further noting, 2004 Jeff Gannon footprints in press room deemed fake. The next panel uh, has Don Asmussen portraying uh, the headline of the New York Times, noting, Sasquatch blames wide foot for men's room mishap. Man ape claims tapping was an attempt to make footprint. Final panel portrays bin Laden video hoax. A new video or three years old? Headline, new bin Laden video alludes to 4 not 7 Red Sox champs. With the, the intelligence conclusion being, Al-Qaeda leader must be dead. Anyway, as regarding that fake FEMA news conference, uh, ABC News uh, had the following quote from an unnamed member of the staff of the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency questioning the agent's deputy administrator, Harvey Johnson, at a, quote, press conference, unquote, on the California fires of October 23rd. Question. Are you happy with FEMA's response so far? New Scientist magazine noted the event was held at such short notice that no real journalists could get there. Let's take a short break and talk to a real journalist. That would be Professor Peter Dale Scott. Don't go away. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.